When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. Just like your family treats you, find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily those final two drives do you like looking back at those now was pressure a factor there and just not being able to get anything done see like I, I happened to watch Kirk's press conference after the game and he gave up way too much information but basically one of the screens there in man coverage and they covered it so we ended up losing like four yards uh, we had another play call that we could have checked out of you know so there's a bunch of different things so yesterday I was looking at the tweets that came across from Mike Zimmer's press conference because it happened to be at the same time as the show, so I wasn't there. And I saw a couple of reporters, including yourself, Courtney Cronin, tweet out that Mike Zimmer said Kirk Cousins revealed too much information in his post-game press conference on Sunday. And my initial thought was, he must have been joking. Like, sometimes Zimmer will joke at the podium and say, well, you know, I wish he would just not ever talk to you guys. And we're like... Good one, Mike. Uh, But in this case, I went back and watched it and listened to it there with your voice, Courtney Cronin, in the beginning, asking the question. And I was stunned. I was completely surprised that Mike Zimmer would publicly criticize the way Kirk Cousins handled his postgame press conference, in part because Kirk Cousins' postgame press conferences have not been a story in any way, shape, or form, aside from his one podcast alleged apology to Adam Thielen. But other than that, his post-game press conferences after the losses this year have not made any waves, and I wouldn't guess have frustrated people in the locker room like they did last year. He's corrected a lot of the issues that he had, and from a fan perspective, if you're a fan wondering what Cousins had to say about what went wrong, you got a lot of information from him. You got him taking responsibility for things that he didn't do well, and... That was it. There's no story there whatsoever. And instead, his head coach comes out and says something that I'm sure would not go over well with Cousins to get inside the head of his own quarterback the week leading up to a national TV game. Great job, Mike Zimmer. Let me just read you what Kirk said. This is coming off of the Kansas City transcript. And you and I were both in there. You asked him about Laquan Treadwell, I believe, and you I were, did. Yes. And I asked him about, you know, it was he was seen saying, "I'm trying" on the broadcast, I think, and he's like, "No, I didn't say that." 
Um, it was about like third and long plays and just like frustrations. This was the which most. I, which I was told sources close to the situation said he said um, he stopped running. Stopped was running. What he said. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, the question at hand here, some person, I don't know, it wasn't one of us, but just asked, like, what happened on the last two drives? This is Kirk's response. Quote, not any one thing. The first play, we ran a bootleg and didn't get anywhere with it. Second play, it's all running together. I'm not remembering it. Third play, we ran the ball and didn't get it. We had a penalty there that they declined. The final drive, we had a drop-back pass that got batted down at the line of scrimmage. All these things happened, mind you. Picking back up. He's literally like, just like reading off the play-by-play play sheet. telling you what happened. Like, yeah. I know Mike's the one who says we had a play we could have checked out of. Is that not giving away too much information well, right this, there? This is coming like, from the head coach the head who coach. constantly gives away too much information. I mean... <laughs> I mean, Ray, this Mike is, Zimmer is so easy to read for us when he uh, tries to talk around things that we usually know exactly what's going on in his head. And I'll give you an example. That would be last year with John D. Filippo after the Jets game when Zimmer comes out, gives away a little too much information, you might say, by saying, I wish our offensive coordinator would run the football. And then we all knew, uh-oh, Mike Zimmer not necessarily super happy. And didn't Mike Zimmer on the Fox broadcast in front of the entire mm-hmm. nation essentially call out his offensive coordinator and say we got too cute? Did yeah. he not say that? I was in the They're press coming box, out, coming but I saw on Twitter yep. that he said that. And he's going to go up there and criticize Kirk Cousins for the way he's handled press conferences. I, last year, created a fan club on Facebook of, do you also get mad at Kirk Cousins' post-game press conferences? And so many people joined. I'm joking. That didn't happen. But on this show, we talked last year all the time about Cousins and the handling of those press conferences and how he's making people upset by throwing guys under the bus and making mistakes. And this year... He's corrected a lot of that. Yeah. I think probably I think from he's been some fantastic. conversations he had internally about how those things were coming a- a- across last year. We haven't gotten any you tell me or anything else like that. Kirk Cousins has done a great job at handling the roller coaster in terms of what he said publicly. That would be the one of the biggest areas to praise him this year is boy, he hasn't come across like he's feeling the pressure as he did last year of the $84 million contract and expectations last year. He seemed to be very defensive and things like that. That has not happened. And we would give him probably an A for the way he's handled his public face. And here's Mike Zimmer criticizing him. I, 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 I don't get it. It just ba- It's baffling because I think anybody who knows the situation, anybody who just watches that and watch, Kirk press, watch Kirk's press conference knows that he didn't do anything wrong. So Mike wants to call him out for that, but he's not going to go call out his own guys, his defensive guys. Let's go look at that 91-yard touchdown run. He's saying, one guy got down too far, one guy was too wide. Then we had a guy covering the guy that was running the flash the, the flat, uh, flash play, so man-to-man. And he overshot it, and so he missed a tackle. And then the safety missed a tackle. Bro, you know the names of those players. Those are your defensive yeah. guys. Don't get me started on this, because you don't want to call Anthony Barr out for a mistake that he made at the beginning of that play. You have... Over and over and over again, wrongfully so, defended Xavier Rhodes when he is playing horribly. Mm-hmm. Outside of this weekend, he was actually pretty good. Trey Waynes was a liability this weekend. It doesn't make any sense to me that you're going to nitpick Kirk Cousins for something like this. It's You cannot defend this. This is why things fray inside of NFL buildings. Because you don't need to do something like this. To put pressure on a quarterback that is already dealing with a lot of... Uh, 
I don't know, expectations, pressure. It's got a national game this week yeah. on Sunday Night Football. You want to add another narrative to that? Because he's going to be asked about this tomorrow on Wednesday when he speaks to the media. Be like, do you, do you talk too much? Your coach said you talk too much. What now? And, and when we talk about the overall bigger way that Mike Zimmer has handled Kirk Cousins this year, it's been a change from last year. So last year, he was angry with John Filippo, and so he was blaming Filippo for everything. He was making it very clear to us that he thought that it was John Filippo's fault, right? And, yeah, exactly. And it reminds me of that Bears the uh, press conference the Monday after the Bears game. If... If NFL coaches, if, if we're looking at Mike Zimmer here being upset about the media speculating and the media doing this, that, and the other thing, maybe don't say, hey, we had too much, we have too much volume in the playbook. You know what I mean? You put that out there. Yep, so yep. to say that Kirk Cousins is putting out too much information, go look in the mirror because you do it too. Well, and I think it's fine for a head coach to call people out if he wants to and to give whatever statements he wants to to the media. You just can't circle back and say, I'm not happy with my player giving a breakdown, which That's you, what, I just which don't you read it. There was nothing there. There was nothing there. I'm not even sure I quoted it. Like, think about Deshaun Watson. And all that he's done the last, like, I don't think it was this week, but it was a few weeks ago, and he's explaining cover four. A very basic thing that any quarterback in the NFL should be able to give you in very great detail. Um, Bill O'Brien hasn't gone out and said the same type of thing that Mike Zimmer said. And granted, Bill O'Brien is a quarterback guy, so that is his guy. He's not going to publicly criticize him. He's not going to drag him through the mud. He's not going to take subtle shots, which Mike Zimmer did there with Kirk Cousins. Um that's what bothers me here. Like, why are we kind of picking, playing favorites, essentially, when Kirk is not the sole reason you lost that game? If he goes out there and if he was terrible against Kansas City, he wasn't great, but don't blame everything, his 50% completion percentage, the yards per attempt, all of that's not all on him. When your defense faltered at some of the biggest moments in that game, and I know that Tyreek Hill is special, but you gave up a 91-yard run, and that you are embarrassed. You were embarrassed. You said it yesterday yourself that you'd never in your entire career given up a run that long. So I just don't understand why Kirk's the one getting the fall, the, being the fall guy here, especially you and I have both been very critical of him. Like, we, we've held him accountable in other moments. I just don't know why Mike's picking this specific one. And it bothers me because that type of transparency, what, what do you want Kirk to go up there and say? Like, when someone asks him, because we're going to keep pressing you. If you don't give us a good answer or something that's worth a damn, you say, I don't know. I can't remember. Yes, you can. You can pull out every single little thing. And he did. And he gave it really Really good answer. And it just frustrates me that the head coach here is now just trying to take another shot at his Kirk, at his quarterback's confidence. So I, I would compare this to the way that Mike Zimmer's handled kickers in the past. Yes. How, do you, how can you kick and how can you play quarterback for this guy from time to time when you see things like this happening? So you look at the way that the different quarterbacks have been handled and even the way that he's been handled just Kirk Cousins through, through two years by Zimmer, who was somewhat defensive of him last year but almost wouldn't really talk about him. Um, but he loves Teddy Bridgewater, would defend Teddy to the end of the earth. Sam Bradford, he couldn't get a feel on and then liked him at the end. Mm-hmm. And uh, then Case Keenum, he was super critical. A of, horseshoe around but, his neck. But with Case Keenum, he didn't seem to care. It, it was kind of like, whatever. Mike could say whatever he wants. And I bet Keenum would go home to his wife and be like, what is this dude's problem? Why is he so hard on me in these press conferences? We won the game by 20 points and he's still <laughs> criticizing me for throws. And uh, But it never seemed to bother Case Keenum. With Kirk Cousins, he seems like the type of guy who would be bothered by his head coach calling him out in the media, especially for something that, in my mind, didn't even really happen. I mean, I I didn't see anything that I could pick out where I said, 
wow, I can't believe Kirk revealed that detail. I, I, I don't think there was anything there. If there was, we'd be bad journalists and have missed something really obvious. Yeah. But I, I didn't see it if it was there. And, and so you're talking about a quarterback who is not the same as Keenum, doesn't have the bleep it type of attitude that Keenum would that would be annoyed by this. And even if it's the slightest annoyance, and even if it's not that big of a difference, like why would you do it to him? Why would you do it in a week where... There's a lot of pressure coming off of a loss. If they lose this game and go to 6-4 and four and again lose to another winning team, the outside world is going to say, don't even talk about the Vikings as a competitor anymore if they can't beat these two winning teams. Kirk Cousins knows that. He knows what his record is in primetime. He knows who he's facing here, a good Dallas Cowboys defense. And you're going to get in his head the week before, or you're going to come out and say something critical? And then another point off of this is... How about Zimmer a few weeks ago? Someone asked him, why can't Kirk win big games? And he said something like, I don't know. <laughs> it was like, really? I mean, Wasn't there, it you have to ask there, him? There, yeah, I that think he said comes, you have to ask uh, him. That always comes up. Why hasn't Mike Zimmer been more defensive of Kirk Cousins through this thing as he has been, or as he used to be with Teddy Bridgewater, when he knows Kirk is his only quarterback, and he knows Kirk is going to be the quarterback next year, so he's your guy, what what downside would there be to come out and be like, why are you guys asking so many questions about Kirk after Kansas City? He played fine, and our defense let uh, us down, not Kirk Cousins. He threw three touchdowns. That'd be a very easy position to take to be like, what are you guys talking about? It would be, but that's his defense. That's his job on the line if you look at it in those terms. like The quarterback is the offense. That's Gary and Kevin's problem. And he took... A lot of different shots of them from the halftime question with Pam Oliver that you referenced at the top of the show to things he said yesterday. Um, and I do think, I just want to circle back on this because I'm looking at the, at the transcript right now from Kirk after the game. I do wonder if maybe it wasn't specific to the question that I followed up with Mike about those final two drives. Kirk earlier was asked if he was throwing off his back foot. Oh, and which he gave are, a kind which, of a breakdown yes. of what was happening. And, and yes, if you're throwing off your back foot, that's poor mechanics. That looks like you're lofting it up. I understand that you don't want to admit to that, but he did it. And he's like, my hips were open to the middle of the field, reading a post route on a far cross. And Get, then getting into the hips in the like, post game press conference. And, and no more the, football I mean, than that. Yeah, and that's that's football. Like he's literally explaining the mechanics of something. And Zimmer yesterday, I think Ben Gessling asked him a question just about. Um, Kirk said he was throwing off his back foot, or was talking about throwing off his back foot, the hips, and Mike's like, no, it was footwork. And he was very quipped about it. He didn't want to go into it. So maybe that is where, I'm not agreeing with any of this, but I'm just trying to think that that answer on the question about the last two drives was, it, it makes no sense if you're mad about that. I could, from a very small perspective understand this one if being we're, if what we're trying, him, if we're trying to figure out what the hell it right. is but it doesn't make any sense regardless when like you mentioned you know he's taken moments before to kind of downplay the whole thing of like Kirk in prime time Kirk in the big stage Kirk in night games Kirk on grass who knows I mean there's been a lot of questions about why Kirk has never been able to get it done um in the biggest moments and he's never given a concrete answer, but now he wants to micromanage the quarterback position from the standpoint of, you talk too much? I, I just don't understand any benefit whatsoever of bothering him about something he said in last week's postgame press conference. Now, I mean, it, now this is something that Kirk has to prepare for Wednesday to make sure he doesn't say anything that offends his coach. And I've gotten a few tweets from people about 
Is he trying to motivate Kirk like uh, by nitpicking his press conference off the cuff from last week? I don't think that's exactly a motivational thing to put his chip on his shoulder. I mean, he didn't come out and challenge Cousins. He didn't come out and say, you know what, we, we need our quarterback to bring us to victory this weekend or hey, offer some sort of challenge. I think it was one of those snide side comments that have gotten Zimmer in trouble yeah. so many times in the locker room throughout his this career. This fractures the locker room. It, it reminds it me of the Anthony the Barr staff. thing. Yes, I mean, this is, this is what makes people not want to come to work if it gets bad enough. This is what makes people turn against each other. And you are going into the stretch, you are in the stretch that is going to define your season, weeks 9 through 13, when you have Kansas City, Dallas, back-to-back, Denver at home, bye week, and then you have to go to Seattle. And you have to win that game in Seattle, and you really should win the Dallas game too, because you're not going to be a playoff team if you cannot beat teams that are going to be with you in the playoffs. So to open this can right now, Seems like very, very poor planning. And I don't know if maybe he regretted it afterwards. Maybe it was just something that, you know how he is? He has a hard time not being as honest or saying what's on his mind. Mm -hmm. That's one thing that you can love and appreciate about Mike Zimmer. I like being able to cover somebody who does not beat around the bush. But this seemed like a cheap shot. And I don't like that because... There are so many things you can criticize Kirk Cousins for from this game specifically. Again, he did not lose you the game on his own. And we will. And we will. Give us a minute. He didn't lose you that game on on his own. But going back to what Mike Zimmer was saying about, you know, I think he talked too much, and then he goes into and breaks down the play himself. Like, that to me is just a little hypocritical. Um, One thing that we've learned, I think, from working with our friend Alex Boone, who is on at 3 o'clock today, is just how much the things that get said do reverberate through locker rooms. And Mm -hmm. it's hard to explain sometimes because you're like, these are pro athletes. They should just put it aside and play football. And they do, but... you. Imagine anywhere you go to work, if your boss says something about you, um, you're going to have some type of reaction to it, right? And and I don't know what Kirk Cousins' reaction to this is, if he has any, but I look at it as sort of a reckless little quip that was unnecessary and that there's been many times where we've heard later on, yeah, actually, that thing that Zimmer said off the cuff, just taking a jab at somebody, yeah, they were really mad about that or players weren't happy with it or whatever else it might be. And in this week, it would have been, I think, in his best interest to be very defensive of Kirk and the way he played because it's it's not even a hard place to stand on. If you were trying to defend Kirk after Chicago, well, okay, I mean, everybody saw it. But if you came out and said, look, we didn't give him enough help. He threw three touchdowns. He led a drive in the fourth quarter to get us ahead in the game, and we didn't hold it. He's, it's not a really hard thing to defend him. And instead, you criticize him for something that really just is, isn't, there's nothing there. there. There was no reason to take that pot shot at him. And after the Chicago game, I'm pretty sure that's when he was asked, why can't Kirk win yeah. the big one yeah. on the road? And he's like, you'd have to ask him. Now, one thing Zimmer did say in that question that you were referencing from yesterday, you know, when he was talking about the press conference and all that, he said, you know, Kirk had some bad throws. It's not the end of the world. We'll be all right. Yeah. So does that sound like a ringing endorsement? I mean, so, no, I guess no, I, but it also doesn't sound like he's, you know, freaking out about it. Should I, they be? I don't understand why he isn't defensive of Kirk Cousins. I mean, this year, if you look at any measure, even including the other day, which was not a good game. Trust me, I did not walk out of there thinking, boy, Kirk really showed us. Uh, but when you look at any measure of his play so far this year, he is third in the entire NFL in quarterback rating. 
mean, it's it's very easy as a head coach to be like, dude, this guy's been one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL this year. Are we criticizing one tough game that didn't go his way? Like we're gonna, you know, we're gonna go to Dallas. We're gonna do our thing. Like it would have been much easier to do that. And instead, he comes off critically about something that is super nitpicky. And you know, when you have it. It's sort of like Cousins at the end of the game, where if it was the first time it happened or it doesn't happen that often that he comes up short at the end of a game, you might go, eh, no big deal. Just like with Zimmer. If this was the first time he kind of made a drive-by comment that might upset people, then you'd go, eh, well, okay. I mean, everybody makes mistakes. But this is time number 158 of saying something that could potentially manipulate people in the locker room. Well, you think back to this, it's... There's multiple examples. Like, let's go back to owners' meetings. He calls out Xavier Rhodes unprompted. I sat there. The question was, what do you think about your cornerback unit and the depth you have? And he goes, Trey Wayne's this, Mike Hughes this, launches into unprompted, Xavier needs to play better. He needs to play up to his contract. Well, then Xavier starts to really struggle this year. And at every turn, Mike Zimmer has kind of gone the other direction with it and tried to support Xavier Rhodes publicly. So I think that he's gotten burned for this before the Anthony Barr coasting comment in 2016, he got burned for that. There were points with the offensive line. I don't know exactly what it was. I think it might have been before I got here. 2016 called them soft. soft. Yes, like that did not sit over well and in that room. I know that, yeah. and I'm mean, sure that the guy that we're about to have on in 40 minutes, uh, will, Alex can will, confirm sources close to us later yes. on today. Has uh, actually he's already confirmed that to us. But, but I mean, no, and and we knew that, and it's just it's a matter of. Foot and mouth, I think, a lot of times where it's too reactionary from a head coach. And you go around the league, guys who are in in certain in similar situations where you're playing tight, you, you feel, I guess, the pressure of, I have to win this year or it could be my job. It plays out similarly. And it plays out with things not going the way you want them to because you're re- it's not a leadership quality. Like, that's not something. And Mike Zimmer can be a really damn good leader of men and of of football teams. Like he's done it before, but this is something that you hope kind of gets contained right now because you don't want it to blow up into something bigger. I just think it's kind of classic with Zimmer that every time throughout his tenure, they run into bumps in the road. We end up getting somebody thrown under the bus and it's not just the regular criticism or analysis of your team and what's going on. It's, a pot shot that didn't have to be taken. Like the one with the Jets is a great example. We wouldn't have known that John D. Filippo wasn't doing what Mike Zimmer wanted him to do because they won that game like 38-17 or something. Yeah. It would have been like, oh, well, whatever. You just killed the Jets. Who cares if Kirk didn't yeah. play that great? It was fine. And no they put deal. up 37 points on the road. Right. And Zimmer goes, we should have run the ball more. And you're going to wave a big flag. And you know what Mike Zimmer would probably tell us is bleep your feelings, and that's fine. But at the same time, we've seen it enough times uh, irritate people, make people's jobs harder, make them feel more pressure. And I would put it exactly like with the kicker. When Daniel Carlson Mm -hmm. missed a field goal and then Zimmer decided, we're not going to kick an extra point in this preseason game to show up your kicker, then I think that put extra pressure on Daniel Carlson, knowing the next time he went out there that if he missed, he was going to have a really angry head coach with him or that his coach was going to do something else to him. I I think he puts people on edge at times when things go wrong. Well, in a way, we predicted that this was something that could happen. Because I remember last year, there were a lot of... I I can't recall a moment where Zimmer truly threw Kirk under the bus last year, because how could you? No, he was... 
He was he was more defensive of him last because year. Because you're in year one of a three-year fully guaranteed contract where this guy's going to be your quarterback regardless. Why break him now? Why break him now when you have an offensive coordinator who is your scapegoat for a lot of things? So John Filippo's in, in this three-year Kirk Cousins span, he was the scapegoat for year one. He was the punching bag, and he ended up getting himself fired because he didn't do what Zimmer wanted. Two separate things, but Mike Zimmer used the media and used kind of his platform to publicly express his private sentiments about what were what was going on behind closed doors in meetings with him and his offensive coordinator and things not going well. So he gets thrown under the bus year one. Year two, it's Kirk Cousins. It is Kirk Cousins. What is year three going to be? Is there going to be a year three at this point? Well, and that's what we did talk about. You're right. Uh, in the offseason was, do the kid gloves come off eventually? Mm-hmm. And, they, and they really haven't in terms of other comments. I think I would only question it because... In part, Cousins has done such a good job being the forward face of the team this year through some adversity, especially when Stephon Diggs was skipping practice and Cousins came out and did a fine press conference that week. And and even I thought his comments were good when he said, look, I mean, people have business decisions to make. It's professional football. I am not letting this get in the way. I'm going to continue to go play my way. Like when he did that after the New York game, I thought he handled it with exactly the right tenor as he should have. And that's where it's weird to criticize this because last year he did things wrong in those press conferences and it was worth criticizing. We never heard a thing about it. And then this year he's done a really good job with it. And now he's getting criticized by his head coach over something that just doesn't really matter. I mean, whether he went out there and like Deshaun Watson did and explained cover four to the media, or if he said nothing, it doesn't really matter toward the next game. So why are you taking a jab at him? I I think it was a, a, a bad play by Zimmer and something that we see a lot. And I think it's when he gets specifically defensive about his defense. When he feels like it was his defense who did it wrong, which they did on Sunday, that's when he starts to look around and say, okay, is it DiFilippo's fault? Is it Kirk's fault? Is it somebody else that I'm going to take a jab at? Well, it's just like it's... It's the it's his pound the fist on the table type guys that he will never throw under the bus. Like, I mean, he's done it to Xavier Rhodes. He's done it to Anthony Barr. Those guys all fall under that category. But then you look at that 91-yard touchdown run, and Zimmer's not calling anybody out by name. The safety missed a tackle. That was Anthony Harris, and he will tell you himself that he really yeah. screwed up on that play. Yeah. But I just don't under... I mean, this to me looks like offense versus defense, and we were... Wondering about this, when the going gets tough, when this team starts losing games, does it revert back to offense versus defense? Which is interesting because, like, how the tables do turn here. Because Very now quickly, too. The offense have to be, or uh, to quote Michael Scott, how the turn tables. Um, but, but the, I mean, now it has to be, yeah, them looking at each other saying, who, who's doing their job here as opposed to being one thing? I, I felt that way last year, and it has a little bit of that feel this year. And you're sort of creating a little bit of tension where you didn't need to over this thing. Um, we'll take a break. We'll come back. I wrote an article about the very cornerbacks that you referenced in Kansas City, and I want to get your reaction. I've got some potential solutions, and I want you, Courtney, to tell me if any of them are going to happen We will talk about it when we come back. Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin, here on Purple Daily. North Memorial Health has over 400 care providers. That's right, more than 400 care providers and more than 6,000 team members that are dedicated to keeping you healthy. North Memorial Health is proud to partner with the Minnesota Vikings as they work to make Minnesota the healthiest in the league. They're more than a team at North Memorial Health. They're your family. At North Memorial Health, customers are treated like family. Your health family is more than a tagline. It's a commitment to delivering unmatched customer service. 
That means a big smile when you walk in the door. That means making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It means asking, what else can we do for you? North Memorial Health will treat you like family in a good way. The people at North Memorial Health will team up with you to help you achieve your best health. So step up your health care game today and find your health family at northmemorial.com slash family. Once again, that's northmemorial.com slash family. I've got this like sort of belief that that slide yesterday is sort of the same reason Kirk rarely brings the team back in the fourth quarter. And I don't know how, how that like bleeds down to the rest. Like if I'm Elfline or if I'm uh, Stefan Diggs or if I'm Riley Reef and you know, everyone has to do their job. But when your quarterback slides on third and four, a yard short, that like that, that, that's like an injury that hurts. That was Sage Rosenfels there from yesterday's show. If you missed any of it, you can go to wherever you get your podcasts. Search Purple Daily. Sage is on every Monday and Wednesday, given his breakdowns, including of plays that um, baffle us by Kirk Cousins at times. And make sure you leave a review. I was told that there are over 300 reviews there, and it's either five stars or one star. It's just the nature of reviewers, I guess. But make sure you leave a review because that helps other people find Purple Daily. Uh, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here. And uh, that, I guess, goes along the lines of if you missed our concern about Mike Zimmer talking uh, in the way that he did about Kirk Cousins' press conference from yesterday, make sure you go back and listen to that first segment. We will have Lorenzo Neal on this week. We rescheduled with him after last week. So that's coming up around 3.20. And Jonathan asked what I teased last segment, and I remembered, Jonathan. This will prove you wrong, as uh, I so do to the haters on a regular basis. I teased that. I wrote an article for scorenorth.com. Yep, about the cornerback play. And anytime you phrase, you know this quite well, anytime you phrase a headline like, how something should we be about something? Everyone responds with, a lot, dummy. And it (laughs) makes me laugh. So thank you for doing that. Uh, I wrote, how concerned should the Vikings be about their cornerback play? And coincidentally, the answer is a lot, dummy. Uh, (laughs) Right now, Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes rank 53rd and 71st in quarterback rating when throwing into their coverage. Courtney, what is the answer to this problem the Vikings are having with their corners? Well, I think it gives you the insight you need to know for next year about what the team might do and how they might feel about moving on from both of these guys. I mean, I wrote about this last week when Holton Hill was, all the signs were there that he was going to eventually be activated, moved on to the 53, that your succession plan, why don't you start enacting it right now? Because by and large, Xavier played okay on Saturday. I mean, excuse me, on Sunday. I think I think about like the, there was that goal line stand that they had in the uh, end of the second quarter where it was... Rhodes on Sammy Watkins, and then Mike Hughes had the I dro- he dropped. So I think it might have been Hill for a one yard loss. Like the secondary held up its end there, but Trey Waynes got annihilated by Tariq Hill. And yeah, Tariq is fast. Like you expect that. But even Mike Zimmer said that there was a play where he was covered. He just didn't make. He just did not go up and make a play. He covered him just fine. It was just a lack of execution, or I guess poor execution on the part of Trey Waynes there. So. It's concerning because it's not just a Xavier Rhodes problem that has kind of been painted out to be that when you just look at his stats from weeks one through eight. Because Rhodes really wasn't the liability and the concern here. The Chiefs said, hey, 
we know he's struggling, so we're probably it's probably not going to be that big of a problem. Let's go attack Trey Waynes. I also think that in that game, in the biggest moment, or one of them, you saw the shortcoming of Xavier Rhodes this year, which was Tyreek Hill slammed on the brakes, Xavier Rhodes went flying by, and Hill was wide open on the second-to-last drive by the Chiefs, the one where they tied up the game. It was third down and seven, got 11 yards on the play, and it was classic. Like, anyone who runs a hitch route on Xavier Rhodes has a completion. That's why his completion percentage against is 84%. Like that, I mean, you're talking about like a Hall of Fame level completion percentage when you throw at Xavier Rhodes, and that's been a major issue because all the teams now are, are using it. Now, you mentioned the younger corners as a potential option. Do you think that that is realistic? Now, I'll give you the numbers here. Mike Hughes is only averaging 8.1 yards per catch against this year when he's been in. He's been targeted 23 times. So he's been okay. 92 rating against. He did allow that one touchdown to Marvin Jones, which was a great one. And last year, Holton Hill only allowed 16 receptions on 31 targets. Now, these are very small sample size type of numbers. Tiny, tiny. But they're a heck of a lot better than what we've seen from Trey Waynes and Xavier Rhodes. My question, I guess, is... I don't think you'd bench both of them. No. Would you bench one of them? Would you bench one of them for a time? Would you split reps with one of them? Like, this has to be addressed. These guys have been two of the worst corners in the entire NFL this it's year. And you've got two team, guys sitting right behind them. And it's the reason the team has gone to playing sides at certain points this year, where you don't, you don't have one corner shadowing the team's right. uh, the opponent's number one which, receiver, which I, is kind of telling. Can I give opinion. you my theory on that? Sure. My theory is that that's why Trey Waynes has struggled so much, because he doesn't have any help on his side like he used to. Yeah, because all the help's Rhodes. rolling to Rhodes' side. Or, or at very least, they're playing zones, which just asks, asks him sometimes to be man-to-man, mm-hmm. and he doesn't have a safety over the top of him. Where before, when you had Rhodes shutting down one side of the entire field by himself... Then you could roll all your coverage to the other side. I, I I think it sort of exposed the weaknesses in Trey Wayne's and also tells us he will not be here uh, going forward. No, and you know financially, it's not the smartest decision to keep him around, anyways. When you have these guys in the wings, and you yeah. can go ahead and use one of your high draft picks on a corner again, because you know that's inevitable. Just given what they have right now, who they're going to have to move on from. Um, and what it comes down to with Xavier Rhodes, too, because he is under contract, I believe, through 2022. Like, he's going to have to take a pay cut or they're just going to cut him. Like, there, there's no reason to keep him around at a $12.9 million cap hit in 2020. So, what do you do now? Do you Who do you bench? Um, can, can you bench Waynes after what he did last week? I mean, do you expect Xavier to revert back to 2019 form? Which, I think it's which probably one can realistic. you cover for? Which which one is the bit is the less of the bigger liability well, I guess right now in terms of quarterback rating against that's Rhodes. Rhodes yeah however the big plays against Trey Wayne's other teams have figured out if Trey Wayne's is one on one with a guy he's going to be right there with him because Wayne's can really run but if you throw it anyway he's not going to be able he to play, play the, ball. the ball well that's yep. that's the problem and yep. so and Zimmer even said that in training camp that he still doesn't get his head around very well mm-hmm. and. I think that's really telling that when teams attack him when he's one on one, they're probably getting big plays. And I don't know if that Mike Hughes could step in and do better, but you almost can't step in and do worse at this point. And and Zimmer's got to decide how loyal are you going to be to the guys who used to play well but don't play well anymore. And everyone else on this defense is doing their job almost. 
I mean, the, the defensive ends have been amazing. Eric Hendricks is number one in the NFL uh, mm-hmm. by pro football focus. The safeties, aside from one really bad missed tackle, have been good. I mean, are are you going to hold your cornerbacks accountable or not just because they're your guys and your former top picks? I mean, it bo- it brings up the question of what's wrong with this defense because it's not the, it has all of the pieces of this 2017 team that got them to the NFC Championship, but it's not the same defense. And it's not your pass rush that's the problem. It's really not your linebackers that's the problem. And your safeties are fine. What what are we missing here? Like why, why you're going to go criticize your quarterback for talking too much, but you're not going to ever take shots or expect more out of your cornerbacks, at least from a public standpoint. I'm sure behind closed doors he's not thrilled about this. Like he seemed pretty irritated after the game, just about the play, and even yet going back to yesterday. I mean, as much as he's you know had time to to digest and to watch the film again to understand what happened. Um, he called out Trey Waynes by name yesterday, and he didn't yeah, seem he very did. thrilled about it. And, so. and, yeah, I mean, he should call out Trey Waynes by yeah. name. Like, if you're talking about one guy who has it coming and has sort of been untouchable in a lot of ways to talk about in years past, it's him. But uh, that now that is pretty interesting, though, that you know he calls out Waynes and shows a little impatience, but does that mean something else is coming? Because if you just call him out and you don't do anything else about it, like give Mike Hughes a chance... He's a first-round corner. I mean, he's a good player. Like, if you're not, here's another option. Even Mackenzie Alexander on the outside and and yeah, Hughes inside. I mean, yeah. you've got other options. Most teams don't have other options if their corners don't play well. But when you rank 62nd and 71st by Pro Football Focus out of 79 in the NFL for corners, those are replacement level numbers. Those are if you brought up someone from the practice squad type of numbers. That means to me that Hill or Hughes could play better than that. And does it start this week in Dallas? Do you give it one more go? Because Tyreek Hill is special. But that speed that he has and you know him running down Damian Williams on the touchdown and McKenzie trying to follow in the back and just trying as hard as he could to keep up with him. I mean, it's, I think that that speaks to just the type of player. You're not going to face a guy like that every week. But what are you going to do with Amari Cooper this week? What are you going to do in other circumstances where you know you have good receivers to go up against? My guess is that they continue to roll this way and continue to get smoked on it. That's my guess. Yeah. Is with Zimmer in the past, he has been willing to change certain things, but personnel has not been one of them. And it is hard to do in season. Like your personnel typically doesn't get better in season. That's an off season thing. But you have that's the thing. Like you wanted this. You wanted all these cornerback bodies. You wanted the numbers game to be on your side there. So why aren't you tapping into that when you have the opportunity to do so? When you could have done this weeks ago with Xavier Rhodes. Um, I've got a solution to instant replay troubles because guess what? There were more last night on Monday Night Football. Hooray. Great. More instant replay conversation. I know, but I think I've got it. Based on what we saw in Kansas City, I may have solved it. All right, let's take a break. We'll be right back. Alex Boone coming on at 3 o'clock. We'll have Lorenzo Neal to talk about fullback play and also... He's a sports talk radio host in San Francisco. We got to ask him, how good are the San Francisco 49ers? Because as of this day and the way this could very well play out, it could be 49ers and Vikings in the playoffs. So we're going to ask him that as well when we return your listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Football fans, it's Mackie here for Federated Insurance. You might not know this about me, but I've been a business owner a couple different times in my life. I can relate to the roller coaster ride, the never ending sea of problems to solve, the exhilaration of those incremental wins. If you're a business owner, I recommend getting to know Federated, which has over a century of experience in protecting businesses and 
and making them as successful as they can be. You want a company like Federated standing behind your business. Visit federatedinsurance.com to find your local representative. Federated Mutual Insurance Company. It's our business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download for this hour. Download the Score North mobile app and make sure you register for listening rewards. This month, one lucky app user will win a $200 Visa gift card just for having the mobile app. Just download the app, register the app, and enter through listening rewards. Last hour's download, Manny told you about the seven-year extension for PJ Fleck. Some numbers have been released about that. It's a seven-year extension, $4.6 million a year for now a top 10 Paid head coach in the Big Ten, $10 million buyout if Fleck leaves. The contract is guaranteed at 65%. That's all according to Brian Murphy over on Twitter. Hit us up, Gophers fans. Are you excited? Does this, what's your thinking on how long he stays here with the Gophers? Let us know over at Score North on Twitter, at SKOR North on Twitter. That's been your Score North download. Now back to Purple Daily. Not super long. It's possible. <laughs> College football. Never. I'm, I'm going to leave this one to you, Courtney. Just real quick before we get back into uh, my instant replay solution. That's two for two today on teases, Jonathan. If you keep a track ding, over ding. there, um, you just bad. you just want to explain this to folks about how this works with long contract extensions. Yes. I'm not saying PJ's leaving right now. I'm just saying that usually it's going to increase his odds that he goes somewhere else. This is what happens in college sports where you. Get... So often they give these coaches these absurd extensions that you would never see in professional sports. I mean, unless it's Bill Belichick. That's the only that's the only coach I could think of that would ever even get something remotely close to that, and it still hasn't happened. But um, John Gruden is the only one I could think of. Yeah, ten year in we had ten year deal right with the Raiders. Yeah, and that was yeah, unprecedented. Years, yep. Unprecedented. But the way that this happens is it's either it's either shows that. They know he's going to be out of here soon at that point. Because, I mean, what's the buyout? Eleven? Uh, ten million dollars. Yep. That's chump change, essentially. When if, you, yeah. if this guy's going to end up at Florida State, potentially even Notre Dame, if Brian yep. Kelly, that's what Judd and I were talking about on the way in, that that keep an eye out on him for that job. Yep. If the if the Fighting Irish continue their downslide this season. But, no, I mean, this happened when I was at Indiana when Tom Crean got an absurd extension. And it actually screwed the school because... They kept losing, but they didn't want to pay. They had a really insane buyout. It was like a $14 million buyout, and they were just waiting to get to the, I think it was the 2016 season, right after 2016 season to fire him because they didn't want to pay the massive buyout. So, I mean, it kind of double-edged sword there. It's not exactly a great thing. And what Um, happens is, like you said, Florida State, if they wanted to hire him, they would pay the buyout. mm -hmm. And then the Gophers would get $10 million in money to use. And that's how this works. That's why you do it. Aggressive um, boosters, when they want coaches. Yep. Oh, yeah. All of a sudden, money appears. The uh, University of Buffalo basketball coach, Nate Oates, he got his team into the tournament. They won a tournament game. And he was being talked about as like, oh, there's a great up-and-coming coach. The next day after the tournament, he signs a five-year contract extension. Everyone's like, hooray, he's going to stay in Buffalo. And a couple of weeks later, he was the Alabama head coach, and Alabama sent a couple mil up to uh, the University of Buffalo. Like, that's how the thing works. So, anyway, I mean, I hope Fleck does stay because he has been embraced here, and he's doing pretty well, and I'm really excited for this Penn State game. Yeah, I mean, this stretch that they have to end the season, was it Penn State, Northwestern, are they next after that? And then they've got Iowa. That's not going to be a cakewalk. Then Northwestern, which is a win, and then a Badger team. If she's yeah, it's they play, yeah, and you could potentially beat the yeah, Badgers. Yeah, you can be. Yeah. I mean, they're kind of on a downside yeah, I mean, right now. He's turned it around to the point where 
there's actually hype for a game mm-hmm. against Penn State, and that is really meaningful. So I hope he does stay. I hope he uh, decides that he really loves fishing and lakes and things like that and wants to stick around. I just, the cynical me says, seven years, that's a little It's fishy. a pretty elite extension. Oh, you, you could me. say that. You could say mm-hmm. that. All right, okay, so I've got the solution. I've got it. I have it for pass interference review. Everyone, I want you to give me a preemptive round of applause. Jonathan, if you could, thank you very much. Great job. Yes, Matthew did it. He came up with the solution, and here it is. So last night, Pat Shermer challenges, and very obvious in my mind, pass interference. The guy got there early, and it should have been one of those easy, oh, yeah, that's an obvious call. But, of course, they go over to their little booth, they look in it, and they make their call or whatever. Oh, I don't know how this works. And they, they go to New York. I'm not sure. And uh, it comes back with, no, 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 we got everything right. No problems here, even though it was super obvious. But on Sunday, we saw a call overturned. The throw to Laquan, Laquan Treadwell. Treadwell. And why was it overturned? Because New York called. But because New York called you. You didn't call them. They called you. I think, now I know there's a lot of football games going on, so it's very tough to know all of the situations for every game but i think if they only overturned pass interference in the final two minutes or in the red zone on scoring plays especially yeah i guess in scoring plays and it was new york who called you to do these reviews and overturns then i think it would work a lot better so then they wouldn't necessarily feel like they were showing up the referees like they feel like they're doing now on the overturns. They wouldn't be embarrassing these coaches who continue to waste their penalty flags or their uh, review flags. They would just be making those calls themselves only in these specific situations. It would be very much like baseball when they only reviewed the home runs. Like, let's only do it for the home run big plays, and that'll be it. I think for at least the rest of this year, the reviews should just come from New York. Whoever's watching them, Alberto maybe, and leave it at that for now, and then reassess. Tell coaches, come out and say, for the rest of the season, do not throw those. You're wasting your time. We're going to take care of it under two minutes and on scoring plays, and that is the only time that anyone is looking at pass interference for now. We'll figure it out next offseason. We blew it. We're sorry. We're going to try and do it this way. What do you think? I don't think it's I think it's a pretty logical. Worth the round of applause? No, I didn't need another one, but you know, I just I want to know if he was worth it because no. you did get. I, th- I think so. No, oh, I did. Okay, I did. okay. I was like, no, that's a shame. Um, <laughs> because you're just wasting these coaches' time. Yeah, you're wasting and you're wasting challenges. Like, I mean, the fact that the Vikings won that one. Those are timeouts. Like, that's a timeout, and that's that could be a critical end of the game type thing that you don't have because you wasted it on a play that was probably not going to be overturned in the first place. I mean, that was a blatant one, though. The ones that are not as obvious. The judgment calls just don't seem to be going the way they should, and I just don't understand it. I don't understand it either. I think it should have been fairly easy to come up with this, where you send it to New York, they make the call, they look at it and decide if it was egregious or not. I think egregious isn't a super hard um, bar to reach, where, okay, the guy got there way early and knocked the ball down because he gave the receiver no chance, then boom, yeah, it was pass interference. Easy as that. But for some reason, when the coaches challenge it, they never want to overturn it, no matter how obvious. And the one that was called 
against T.Y. Hilton in the national TV game between the Colts and the Chiefs, where T.Y. Hilton literally put his hands up like, I didn't touch anyone, and they they reviewed it. It should have been the easiest overturn. They didn't do it, and at that moment, it should have just been killed. But I think if you only did it in those big moments and you only had New York doing it, we could at least have some version of what we want, some version of pass interference review for the rest of this year and not waste any more challenges. Sure. I mean, that becomes Sky Judge, right? Like, isn't that kind of trending to what that becomes, where you have in, like a auxiliary, a third party yep. coming in and saying, hey, look at this again? Yep. And it's only for the certain situations that they would be reviewing stuff anyway from the booth. I don't know why, if we're going to do it for some situations and not others, like why it can't be all the time. I don't have a good answer to that. I don't know how it works inside the control rooms in New York, how they're watching all the games or whatever Alberto's doing. But when you see something that obvious, you should be able to buzz down and say, let's correct this, corrected, in under two minutes and at the end of games and end of half. And when you know, you're talking about the scoring plays, you should be able to look at them, correct them, and then go on from there. Let's not even involve the red hankies for now. And then we can figure out how to reassess this and get it right next year. They rushed it in. They made mistakes. And Mike Zimmer said after the game, they need to be held accountable. The NFL does need to be held accountable for this bleep show. right? But but we can fix it now this way and have it be like a decent version of what we wanted and then make it better later. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with trying to mitigate what's happened by instilling some new rules within the rules, essentially. It takes away that too many cooks element where you have the coaches challenging and the referees saying one thing and then you've got Al Rivera saying another thing and then New York as a whole, excuse me, Alberto Rivera. um, Preach that. I don't don't, don't want to call him by his nickname. Um, (laughs) No, but I mean, it's... (laughs) Alberto. It it takes one less, like, frustrating element out of the equation here where you, I mean, and I don't think it should just even be on pass interference calls, right? I mean... Down the road, I Down don't think road, it should yes. be. Right now, though, it's probably the best one because you have so many issues with this. Like, imagine last year. Like, the way that they corrected, or at least attempted to correct, overcorrect the roughing the passer calls, it eventually got better. About week seven, eight, and then the rest of the season, you and didn't this care about it too much. This, is this has not. To be awful. This has continued to be a cluster. And I think it's only going to get worse. As you know, is this going to define another playoff game? Isn't that what you tried to avoid in the first place? And, uh, that very well could happen if there's an obvious pass interference and a coach throws the flag and they don't reverse it. Then we're going to talk about how that was just as bad as them not calling it at yeah. all. So this would give you an opportunity to sort of save face to say we still have this pass interference thing, but we need to reassess the coach's challenge part of it. We would all say great job. The NFL should do that today. Uh, Alex Boone coming up next. We're going to talk with Lorenzo Neal um, about the San Francisco 49ers and the resurgence of the fullback in the NFL. We will discuss that with Alex Boone. Courtney Cronin going to stick around here and got to get Alex's take on some offensive line play that after watching the tape back, woof. Okay, so we'll do that when we come back. You're listening to Purple Daily on Score North. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. That's some miscommunication in there. You know, we went to the wrong guy a couple times. We overthought it. 
Um, and then, like I say, we didn't finish well enough. You know, there, there was a bunch of times we were on the guy and we didn't finish, and that guy came off and made tackles. So we got to finish better. Ah, yes, Mike Zimmer there discussing the offensive line play of the Minnesota Vikings, which, uh, after watching the tape, was, I would say, less than impressive. Joining uh, Courtney Cronin and myself, Matthew Collar, now our offensive line analyst slash everything analyst, Alex Boone. Uh, you would just want to go off for 10, 15 minutes here, Alex, on the offensive line play of the Minnesota Vikings on Sunday against the Chiefs, because yikes. Dude, can we just talk about how we got a linebacker walked up in the A-gap? I mean, this dude is stone cold in the A-gap. Like a good two heartbeats before the play is even snapped. And my man gets called for holding. It's a linebacker. Dude, that's like my sister. You should be able to destroy a linebacker. And this dude is getting called for a holding. Are we being for real right now? Collier, are we being for real? Bro, uh, I'm, I'm fired up today. Uh, okay. I'm fired right. up here. So we're looking for solutions, not problems, Alex. That's, <laughs> that's like I, I'm trying is to. It, this is his therapy session. I, I'm, well, I'm, but, I, but like. I'm going to try to be like PJ Fleck and have some sayings like that. So like, let's let's talk about <laughs> let's talk about solutions, not problems, Alex. Uh, is fair, is fair. there any solution to Pat Elfline being picked up? like a small child, and guided back into the quarterback for a sack by Chris Jones, who is a monster. But that sack right there was the ultimate, dude, I'm not sure you can play this position in the NFL. Bro, yes, there's absolutely an answer. It's called slide to him. Dude, this dude's going to break the bank next year, whether people want to admit it or not. You have to slide to him. You have to respect him. He's a good player. He's coming off a groin injury. I get it. Like You're like, oh, we're not sure if Chris wants to play today. Chris is still waiting for that contract. Yeah, he wants to play today. <laughs> Matter of fact, he's going to pick your guard up and throw him into your quarterback. Let's all watch <laughs> this happened. real quick. Dude, Charles Davis on TV was like, let's just all watch this. I'm like, Charles, way to do that to a man's career. Like That is just <laughs> brutal. You're right. Slide to him. And you know what? When they're like, hey, listen, their threat's the other way. They're going to blitz from the other side. I don't care. We're going to slide to Chris because he's the only one that has the best possible chance to ruin this game. And he did. Seven pressures in the game for no Chris deal. Jones alone. I mean, No just, big deal. Yeah, no that, big deal. He didn't even play the whole game. I mean, like, he played dude, every snap. They're going hole in the middle, which is where you basically, as a center, you sit in the middle and you say, hole, everybody knows, hey, listen, technically nobody has the slide. The center gets to the, from there, he gets to decide who, which way I'm going. And normally, like the coach before the game will go to him and say, hey, listen, in a whole situation, we want to go to the toughest guys rushing, i.e. Chris Jones, or if they were to have a linebacker walked up there that could potentially pick somebody, like they'd be like, hey, listen, you need to slide that way just in case there's a problem. This dude is sliding the other way on hole. Like, dude, we're, we're not going to talk about how Chris Jones is one of the best D tackles right now in the league. Like, dude, he's having an, a great game, and you're just going to continue to let him get up. That was not right. And this is the issue that they face every time that they have in good interior defensive linemen that they have to go against. I mean, you saw it in Chicago. You're seeing it here in Kansas City. Um and it's, I mean, Pat Elfline is the weak link that we're talking about, but Garrett Bradbury, too. I'm curious as to what you thought when you saw those two penalties, because that led to those uh, those three in the third quarter. That led to a, I think it was a 16-point swing yeah. uh, for Kansas City. And I think Dean Blandino on the broadcast said that he didn't agree with one of them. I think it was the... Um, illegal block downfield. Uh, so I don't really know if that's something that it's like a teaching point or whatever. But what did you take away? Just I guess big picture wise, you said this is not really. They didn't have a lot of penalties this game. They had no. three, and it was all on the offensive line. 
No, they didn't. And I think that you're right. The one was the the blocking downfield. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just a teaching point because as you watch it. Normally what the coach will tell you is on a screen, you always have to exit and go to the sideline right away because that's the time it takes the running back to drift. Right? Like, hey, listen, he's not clear yet. So by the time you run to the sideline and turn up, then he's caught the ball. So now you have a good spacing. If you watch the game, he just kind of releases and runs straight ahead. It's such, it's just a rookie mistake. I mean, I mean, veterans do it. I mean, I used to do it all the time. I used to hate screens. I used to say, listen, I'm going to blow this play up myself watch this just run all the way up field like dude i cannot get to the sideline in that quick a time like it's not possible so sometimes you think i'm going to cut the angle down and you end up going too fast too far and the ref sees you which by the way who even calls that anymore really dude come on <laughs> what since when are we cutting offensive linemen down like we need all the advantages we can get these days god so <laughs> I'm fired up, man. Don't get me started on the refs. They were you're terrible. right did, about the illegal thing downfield. You can call you that a lot. Did you see that pass interference on Treadwell? Yes. Did you, we were just I, talking about that. Can we talk about how Zimmer almost lost? And I was like, good for you, Mike. I hope you destroy that ref. I hope you fight him. I hope you fight him right now. Because like, at one <laughs> point, he was, like, he was knife-handing that ref. Like, listen, dude, you're not understanding what I'm telling you. Like, we didn't even touch him. The ref's like, you got it wrong, Mike. Like, dude, we're all watching this right now. You're about to be fired soon, dude. Like, you have no idea what you just did. Did you hear my solution for that, by the way? No, the I did What well, was it? What this, was it? Well, the solution for me is just to not even bother with the coach flags anymore, the, the challenge flags. Just only look at it under two minutes or in the red zone uh, or on scoring plays from New York and have that be it. Like well, what about everything from 20 to 20? Like, what about the middle of the field? You're just not going to review that? That's been a disaster. Like, yeah, having the coaches challenge that. So, why don't we just. All of it. Right. Well, that's fine. But they, they got that one right with Treadwell, though. So, I oh, think, yeah, okay, if we're going to have New York make these decisions, let's just have them make the decisions for now. And we'll address this later in the offseason and get it right. And did you think for a minute, like, so I'm watching this and I'm like, listen, I don't think Treadwell even touched this guy. Like, I'm like, there's no way. Like, maybe I'm just seeing this wrong. But for a minute there, I go, they're still not going to overturn this. Like, how sad that I'm watching this play. Like, I don't even see what this ref even could have possibly seen. And I'm still thinking they're going to let this flag stand. Like, how sad has this league become now that we're this is what it is? Yeah, I mean, and in, in I think on replay, it's very clear that he gets jammed. I think it was Bashad yeah. Breland. Yeah. Because um, at first, I thought Treadwell had an arm on him, and then they they slowed it down again. It was very blatant and obvious within the range of you know where he started out and into where they made contact that that was a clear and um, just an easy call to overturn. So at yep. least they got that one right. I mean, of the other ones in the game. That uh, that but were called too. I think the other one you were talking about was the offensive pass interference on the Viking. Well, it was on Sammy Watkins, and it was it was uh, Kendricks, and he was like, "I see that as a penalty. I saw it as a penalty too. Like I was like, that's kind of egregious. Like Sammy Watkins just ran right into the yeah, side of Eric Kendricks, yeah. and you know, I'm like, wait, I'm like, am I the only one that thinks that that should be a flag? And then Dean Blandino was like, I see it as a flag, and I was like, man, this has really gotten messed up. That we're right. all and that's now the moment agreeing. you know it's not going to get an overturn, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> Dean Blandino the ref says it's wrong. Exactly, and he's the he used to be the head of it. Like if the old head of it's like, yo, I would have thrown a flag, and they're like, there is no flag. You're like, dude, we have officially exploded. Yes. Mine's blown. Yep. We're done. Yep. No more flags. So through nine weeks, I want to circle back to offensive line play. Um, I looked at the numbers yesterday. Pat Elfline and Garrett Bradbury have given up a combined forty pressures mm. through nine weeks. When I tell mm. you a stat like that, what does that do for you? Thinking beyond the Kansas City game, and just kind of what they have to do the rest of the way. Because Kirk was I, another really good stat that I was kind of boggled by. He was 0 for 9 under duress on Sunday, which was a career worst for him. Like, he's faced pressure before. He's been in situations where the po- where he hasn't had a clean pocket. 
um, pocket was collapsing and he's been able to make plays, but 0 for 9 and that and then that being a career worst was really troubling to me because you know a lot of that is coming from the interior part of the line. And when you have figures that are that high, wouldn't you assume, like if I'm telling you 20 pressures given up through nine weeks, that you'd think that's a tackle going against an elite defensive end? Yeah, exactly. And now you're talking about you haven't even really hit the bulk of your schedule that's going to have some tough players, and now you've just exposed your entire offensive line to what? I mean... Kansas City, I'm not thinking sack, sack city. I'm sorry, boys. Like That's just not the first thing that rings in my ear. But I'm thinking about all the times I'm watching Kirk Cousins just try to get rid of this ball and throw it into rest or throw it with a hand in his face. Like At some point, you have to make this guy feel comfortable, especially on the road. And we've talked about this on this show, is how important it is to win on the road because most of the games in the playoffs that you play are going mm-hmm. to be on the road. It's very unlikely that you're going to be the Patriots every year holding the one or two spot. Like, hey, come to us. We will just wait for you to come to us. That's not happening. So when you can't play on the road and all of a sudden you're sketchy the first... I mean, the throw to Thielen. What was that? Yeah. Like, dude, you're throwing the ball to Ham like 10 feet over his head. Like, bro, calm down. Settle down. That was like the third quarter. At some point, you have to calm down. But I don't think that they really got into that because you don't get the run game going. And in the back of Kirk's mind, he's like, dude, the run game's not going. The play action's not going to sell anymore. Now I'm going to have to stand back here behind this offensive line. And we're watching Pat Alfline just run into me every play. Like... At some point, he is like, I am going to panic horribly out here. And I think he's doing a good job of keeping it all in. So I want to take a break here so we can come back and we'll get Lorenzo Neal on. We rescheduled him for today, and and we're going to talk a little San Francisco. That's who uh, the Vikings would play if the playoffs began today and want to find out how they've been so good this year and also talk about the resurgence of the fullback. Um, So we'll get back, discuss all that. And I also want to ask you about the shotgun made its return on Sunday for the Vikings offense, which I thought was very surprising. Let's talk about all that when we come back. Alex Boone, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin here on Purple Daily. Well, I thought I thought we threw the ball a lot early, um, you know, but I don't I didn't mean we got away from the run. You know, the first three play we went two and out the first three series. Talk about starting fast. We go three first uh, three incomplete passes. Back here on Purple Daily, Matthew Collar along with Courtney Cronin. This um, is not quite the first time we have had some questions about the offensive play calling. I think after the last loss at Chicago, we may have as well. But we pointed more to Kirk Cousins and panic mode. Uh, Alex Boone, Matthew Collar, Courtney Cronin. Alex, I, I think with this one, I would have some questions. Namely, why there wasn't an increase in, in guys staying in to protect. Why there weren't the big formations, the under center. Why there was a lot of... John D. Filippo like shotgun that allowed Kansas City to play their two deep safeties and things like that in this game. I when I looked back at it, I was very surprised. We haven't seen a lot of shotgun this year, and then all of a sudden, here's a lot of shotgun for yeah, Kirk they had, Cousins. They had twenty plays out of the shotgun, which was that the highest number this year? I think so. For sure. And it had a it had a pretty decent success rate. Like, it, I felt like when they went awful. to shotgun, it felt like the run game kind of picked up a little bit, right? Like yeah. it turns from like, and that's because when you turn the angle of the running back like that, you make it more of a waiting game, right? Like mm-hmm. he's kind of going lateral, like, well, where's my hole? Where's my hole? Where's my, oh, there it is. You know, and instead of like a, hey, I gotta be here at this moment or else the whole play's ruined. Like you've just slowed it down, which makes it easier. But then I felt like they got away from that too. And it kind of started slowing down. But a lot of it was because up front, nobody was blocking. I mean, you're looking at plays that there's times I'm watching Conklin, like, dude, who are you blocking? 
Your, your linebacker just ran right past you and smacked Dalvin, and then he got three guys to jump on top of him. I mean, they were doing the, everything they could. At one point, I saw Chadarius White make a tackle. Uh, like a lone tackle. And I was like, dude, these guys really are trying to stop the run as much as they can. A cornerback just took down Dalvin. Our friend Eric Eager over at PFF tweeted something out Sunday night that I think got a lot of us thinking that all of Dalvin's yards, uh, all 71 of them on Sunday came, I think it was after contact. After contact, yeah. So that to me tells you he's he's, he's running sideways, he's running to the sideline, he's trying to... You know, find, find a cutback lane, something. I mean, he could not go forward with this. What is an in-game adjustment that Kevin Stefanski could have made there to to fix? I guess you know to try to get generate more runs through outside zone because it just that was not part of the game plan, or at least if it was, it quickly got discovered and I guess you know dismantled that way. I think they didn't even hit on it. I think that if we were going against a team like this, and their biggest thing was we need to get penetration. If you watch, like anytime they toss the ball, there were guys just running through gaps. We need to get penetration. We need to knock guys off blocks. We need to get through blocks. We need to make Dalvin swarm back. Everyone's swarming to Dalvin. We need to push him back into the swarm. What do you do when that happens? Go into the quick hitting plays. Go into your powers. Go into your traps. Go into your isos. Go and give him the ball as fast as you can. Get him downhill. They want to come straight ahead. Let's see if they can handle Dalvin right across their face. Like the la- the last thing you want to do is everyone's getting penetration. And you're still running sideways. Like you haven't made a decision yet. Where are you going? I don't know. But there's two guys right in my face. So now I got to figure out what I'm doing. Like that's just not the way it goes. There was times where yeah they had some really nice blocks and Dalvin goes for ten or eleven, but those were very far and few between this game. And I, I did think it was a good adjustment by Kevin Stefanski to go to some of the screen passes later in the game. But as Kirk Cousins said, you can either be in the poorhouse or the penthouse with the screens. And that's kind of how it went, where it was like the screens work great at times, but then they got blown up later in the game. So we'll continue to discuss the offense in a few minutes. But now we bring in a longtime NFL fullback. He is a sports talk radio host in San Francisco and a former uh wait, are you guys former teammates, Alex? Or no. did you play together? Oh, just I was friends. just a huge you fan. guys are buddies. The, okay. The biggest fan. All right. Lorenzo Neal. What is going on, Lorenzo? I can't call it. I wish he would have been my teammate. Alex knows how to play the game. He played it like it was meant to be played, reckless and abandoned, but under control. You can't teach that. That's what I loved about Alex. All right, Lorenzo, here's where we start, though. So last week we tried to call. You didn't pick up your phone. So here's your punishment. Here's what you have to do. Oh. You have to admit. You have to admit that Frank Wycheck threw it forward. Okay, don't do that. I am from I am from Buffalo, New York, and I was 13 years old. Okay, when he threw that ball to Kevin Dyson, you were right in front of him. You know it went forward. Okay, that's what you need to tell everyone since you didn't pick up the phone last week. You know what? The thing about it at the time, I thought it may have been, and then I watched it over and over and over again. And I think you 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 have to. And they, they, they've had those sports science, and they looked at it, all the different projections. It was definitely not a forward ladder. No. So. Bye, Lorenzo. Good to have you, buddy. Enjoy San Francisco. Come on, Lorenzo. I, you know what? Listen, I'm glad he brought that up because, Lorenzo, you know what? You played with a lot of great coaches, and I, I'm curious to know who was your favorite coach and who did you really like to play for the most? Oh, I, I tell you right now, we didn't win win there, but uh, I love Dick, man. Dick LeBeau is an awesome guy. Easy there, fellas. I know. I probably you guys stared at each other. Yeah, Dick I LeBeau, love Dick. I love what he. 
Did you he just do this to my show, man. Lorenzo? He did it. I bring you on. I love fullbacks, and then you come on, and then you say something lewd by accident, and you won't and you won't admit that Kevin Dyson caught it when going forward. What have you done here? Dick Lebeau, you guys, the guy's 74 years, he's 83 years old, and he still gets it up. He still can get defense to get up and play hard. Think about what he's been able to do. I mean, this guy, he's super great man, a great person. Didn't win there, but I, I honestly, Alex, the guy, he's unbelievable. Dick Lebeau, if you had a chance to meet him, just a great guy. I've been blessed, though. So I've had a lot of great coaches. Marty Schottenheimer, he's the guy that's you know, going to run the ball, going to pound the ball. I love what Marty brought to the to the table. I've had so many different coaches with so many different personalities. I could have played for anyone. I played for Bill Parcells, Huckin' and Bucking. Parcells is tough, no nonsense type of guy. But if he loved you, he loved you. Then I had another guy that was way more passive, but he would just look at you and you didn't want him letting down. He wasn't gonna yell, wasn't gonna cuss you, wasn't gonna scream at you. Tony Dungy. Tony Dungy's another great coach that I've had. And I had Jeff Fisher, so I was very, very blessed to have so many great coaches. Jim Mora, I mean, had him in New Orleans where this guy's talking playoffs. I mean, he walks out of it, walks out on us. You know, we're having some tough times, and he uh, had a breakdown. Walked out of team meeting on Monday. Imagine that, Alex. Team meeting on Monday. Stands up in front of the team and says, man, love you guys. I just got to tell you, I can't do it. I'm going to resign. And just walks out of the walks out of the team meetings. Everyone's looking around like, what the hell just happened? So, I've had, you know, I've had a gauntlet of coaches, had a lot of great men, but all these men from uh, all still have great relationships with. Uh, still, you know, still see Jim Moore lives in uh, lives in Palm Springs now, but he's a great person, great man. So I've been very, very blessed to play with a bunch of different great coaches. And you've had a chance this season uh, to watch the San Francisco 49ers remain the only undefeated team in the NFL. And before we kind of get into the fullback position with Kyle Juszczyk supposed to come back from injury and everything ahead of the Seattle game. What's been the most impressive part of this team? Is it is it the defense and just how dominant they look? And if you want to compare them to New England and kind of what they're doing, is it Kyle Shanahan's play calling and being able to get to this level despite all the injuries? What is the most impressive part of this Niners team? I, I think you're, this with things that you're saying, you're spot on. I'd be remiss that we didn't talk about Cal Shanahan, what he's able to do with not your first, you, you lost your first and second string tackle and you, your third string tackle broke his ankle during preseason. So you're with your fourth and fifth string tackle and you're still able to run the ball and getting over 200 yards and still able to protect. That doesn't happen. I, and I also tell you, you just don't go with fourth and fifth string tackles and still be uh, able to compete at the level that they're able to do it. So Cal Shanahan, he gets my attaboy award for just the diversity and how his offense, what it's able to do to to find out where weaknesses are in making defense plays honest. But, yeah, the defense, what they've been able to do, I know people like this, I like to say offense entertains, but defense wins championships. That defense that they have, uh, it's unfortunate they lost Quan Alexander because he was that guy who would staple you. He's that guy that would kiss you. He's that guy once he hits you and tackled you, you're going down. So that's a big loss. Going to see how well Greenlaw can step in and play. But just collectively, to be able to have these men, last year winning with four games, to be able to galvanize the team, they wanted to run Shanahan out. They wanted to fire freaking Solid, wanted to throw him out to the wolves. And all of a sudden, he's up for coach of the year. 
I just think collectively and cohesiveness, how this team has been able to bond together has been just unfreaking believable what they've been able to do in one year's time. Talking with 16-year NFL fullback, now works for 95.7 The Game Sports Radio in San Francisco, Lorenzo Neal. All right, Lorenzo, it has to warm your heart, A, to see Kyle Juszczyk do the things he does as a fullback, but also to see the resurgence of the fullback position being talked about. C.J. Ham leads the NFL here in Minnesota in snap count for fullbacks. Tell me why the fullback is back. Lorenzo. Well, well, I, I think that, you know what, guys, it's going to give me, if I, if I may, I'll see if I can make up for, you know, blowing you off last week. I fell asleep, guys, but let me, and my, my producer didn't give me the number. So I get up at 2.30 every morning, but let me try to make this up to you guys. Here we go. It's okay. Break so, it down for us. I'm going to break it down. So sit down, relax, and here we go. And I think that everyone's going to love this analogy that I'm getting ready to bring to you guys. When I was in kindergarten, I had a guy, and the teacher was named Mr. Cole. Remember him like yesterday. We had a deal, and he had a project. And he said, we want you guys, and he said, I want you guys to bring your favorite fruit, vegetables, and bring it in, and let's just talk about it, why you love it. People brought in strawberries, and they brought in tomatoes. They brought in beautiful, uh, you know, just lemon, just all kind of beautiful things. And they looked at the strawberries and the cherries, and everyone's like, man, that looks great and my grandma i told her the night before what i had to do she said all right son and she put old onion inside of a bag so i reached into my bag and i pulled out that onion and everyone looked and said, oh that's so ugly you know how the onions can look They're like what is that laughing at me and you know what i think that onion is so much like the fullback because you know what people don't when you bite it it tastes you like oh, i can't eat it you cut it makes you cry but i'm gonna tell you right now when you want that good soup you call on that old onion. When you want a good hamburger, you call on that old onion. I'm going to tell you right now, when you want to run the ball, you call on that fullback, and he's the onion. It's most disrespected position. People don't want to talk about it, but when you want to get downhill, you ask out. You call on that onion. You call on that fullback, and Cal Hughes maybe. He's the onion. This is the best moment of the show. I, think, I love this history. right now. This is old school fullback. See, this is what I miss. This is the old school. I'm going to run down Bart Scott's face. I'm going to hit you as hard as I can. Dude, Lowe used to do it. But I got to know, <laughs> Lorenzo, did anyone ever drop the hammer on you? I got to know. You know what? Believe it or not, me and John Lynch used to go at it. The guy's crazy. He has a head, his forehead, so he's hard. I'm going to tell you, another guy that I didn't like blocking played Zach Thomas, linebacker, because he was short. I'm a guy that's low in stature. Like Ray Lewis and those guys, I'd motorboat him. I mean, give me a tall linebacker. Give me those guys. I'm going to get underneath them, and I'm going to friggin' kiss them, hit them right underneath the chin. I'm like, boom, I just slap them around. So that's what I love. I love playing against tall linebackers. Al Wilson of Denver Broncos. Jesse Tuggle of yesterday years at Atlanta Falcons. Sam Mills, the Mighty Mouse, rest in peace. I came down when I came in, Alex. Man, you know what I played against? I played against the Dome Patrol, Ricky Jackson, Von Johnson, Sam Mills. Rick, those guys would beat me up at practice. I couldn't run. Brad Muster was the starting fullback. He gets hurt, and at training camp, I'm the only fullback there. So I'm telling you, I had nowhere else to go. I was sort of like, you know, when you when you think about the Vikings, what they used to do, they used to get their ships, and once they come into a land that they was trying to take over, they would burn down their ships mm-hmm. and say, I ain't going nowhere. So I had to burn it down and say, baby, I ain't going nowhere. So those guys made me the fullback that I was a bit when I was playing. I always knew if I could go out there and outlast you, if I could out-hit you, even though my head would be hurting you just got to get up and keep doing it because you know what? Your body's not meant to do it, and somebody was going to quit. And usually, it wasn't going to be me. 
Love this guy. I love this man. So you said earlier, and you kind of put Kyle Shanahan in that category that a lot of people are talking about him right now as a candidate for Coach of the Year, just kind of given everything that he's done uh, in nine games despite missing some pieces, but also this offensive resurgence that they've had um, in San Francisco. But do you think it's fair to say that the MVP, at least right now, of the first half of the Niner season is that defensive line? Because for a pass rush that struggled throughout the last few years, ever really since 2016 when we started to see this thing come from the Tom Sula era into Chip Kelly for a season and then finally get into where we are today, they've spent so much draft capital on the defensive line from DeForest Buckner, Solomon Thomas. Um, I know I'm forgetting the other guy from Oregon, too, but also now you have Nick Bosa. It, how much better is this unit from where it was kind of at the depths of it three, four, five years ago? Well, well I can tell you right now, you're the one who makes this show because you're asking the tough and the good <laughs> questions and you've seen it. I wish, well, I, I used to cover this team. Like, I used to cover the Niners back in 2016, okay. so I guess. And Alex and I just okay, love fullbacks. So. <laughs> love them. Love them. Okay, exactly. Yeah, yeah. You guys love the boring position, though, but she's, you're, you're, you're spot on. I think when you look at the – we'd be remiss that we didn't talk about the guys. And you know what? Just like a just like a good uh, just like a good chef, or you know, he's got to make sure that he has the ingredients to make a good stew or make whatever whatever he's making. And look at if you look at Sala, Sala was the chef, but he didn't have the right ingredients. And now all of a sudden you got Nicky Bosa. You went out and got Ford. Now you look at what Buckner, Armstead, all these guys. Now they're starting to come into their own. So yes, I think you would have to look at this defense and say, wow, what they've been able to do. They give the offense the ball. They're one of the better defenses on third down. That's why this offense can continue to grind and continue to run the ball because when you can get off the field on third down defensively, now your defense stays fresh. You can continue to rotate guys, the games, the twists, the stunts that they're doing. You watch these guys get after other teams. Right now, the quarterback, the biggest thing, they can't step up in the pocket. If you watch the NFL, quarterbacks, they like to climb up in the pocket. When you've got outside speed rushers like Ford and Nicky Bosa coming outside, usually quarterbacks can climb. They call the, call the quarterback to climb up in the pocket. But now when you have Buckner and, Buckner and Solly, those guys are pushing and pushing the pal back. Hill and Ormstead, when they're pushing from the middle, now the quarterback, when he gets the seven steps, he can't climb up in the pocket because those two big guys in the middle, those two trees, they're forcing the pocket back. So now you got to realize there's a meeting in the boys' room, and they're going to get back there real soon. That's because Ford <laughs> and Nikki Bolton now can say, let's eat. And those boys up front, they're pushing. So I'm Look. loving what they're doing. You're absolutely right. And I just love football because I get a little bit excited talking about it. So that defense, <laughs> without a doubt, should get major kudos. And that's why those cornerbacks, when you're talking about that pass rush, they were so ready to run the cornerback. Can these guys play? They talked about can these corners cover? The biggest concern, we'll make trades for cornerbacks. But now you can play that three, cover three. You see how the corners, they play with their backs to the sideline. They give ground. And when they're bell, that bell technique that they have, they can eye the quarterback. That's why you see interceptions coming up. Because of the fact they can bail and they've still got their eyes on the quarterback, and the quarterback by that time, hush hog, I hear bear, because that defense is coming to get you. Uh, I am stunned, Lorenzo, that you and Alex Boone get along on the radio. I love line. this guy. Totally I shocked. love him. Totally <laughs> shocked. <laughs> um, uh, Lorenzo, I got, I'd have to ask you. Now, after you gave that great breakdown, I feel bad asking you this, but every week we do a neck roll of the week where we give oh. out neck rolls to players. But I need you to explain to me, A, 
like why you had a neck roll and B why they've gone away. Like did that do something or was it just an awesome thing that fullbacks used to look bigger and badass? Well, I tell you, man, that, that, that neck roll, it, it, it was sort of like it, it's put like putting on superpowers. Because when you had that neck roll on, I could go until I hear glass. Because when nice. you put that neck roll, for me, it kept my neck solid. So sometimes you get hit and your neck might go to the left or to the right. When I put that old cowboy collar on and I had that, you know, and I've had that thing on and I could barely move and turn to the left, I knew right now that I, was, I came to do two things on Sunday. Chew bubble gum and kick ass. And on Sunday, I was fresh mm. out of bubble gum. Good. Mm. Cut my legs off and call me shorty. I'm ready to go right now. Let's go, bro. <laughs> oh, man, it is getting hot over here. Lorenzo, who are you giving your neck roll of the week to this week? Ooh, this week, I'm going to be talking about but after the game, who, what who, people that I saw, the guys who play, I'm yeah. telling you right now. People don't. People do not give this guy and this team goal. They do not give them enough uh, goal. My guy from the Raiders. Watch this fullback. He's getting downhill. He's blocking. You look at Jacobs and the way those guys are playing. Josh Jacobs. He may be rookie of it. People are sleeping on what the Raiders are cooking over there. They don't have a great defense. They don't have a great offense. But when you can run. But when you can run the ball in the National Football League. You got a, you got a chance to beat anyone, and that's why I like these fullbacks. These guys are lining up, they're hitting guys in the mouth. I love it. So I'm gonna give mine the goal from the from the Oakland Raiders. Big win for those guys. Had over 170 yards on the ground. They beat the Detroit Lions. So I'll go that way. All right, uh, Lorenzo, that was great and an honor to have one of the all-time neck roll wearers give a neck roll of the week. Yes. Uh, I- I'm glad to see the resurgence of the fullback and uh, glad to have one of the all-time greatest on. Anytime you ask someone, some running back about who's the best guy you ever played with, it's always their fullback. So now, th- now they're back. Um, Lorenzo, uh, great, great to talk with you, man. I, I hope we can do this again. And uh, best of luck you, to you the rest of the season. We might be doing this before a playoff game between the Vikings and 49ers, the way things are shaping out. You know what? I would absolutely love that. And I think that you guys have a great, you know, you look at what the Vikings have been able to do, you know, get Kirk Cousins going the right direction. It seems like he's starting to get his mojo back. This team is pretty, pretty good defensively. I think their defense is underachieving because they have a lot of talent on defense. But real quick, before I let you guys go, I really appreciate you guys having me on. And boom, what you guys have with Alex Boom? He's a great man. He's a great person. Hey, he was a great football player, but he's a way better man. So uh, I'm glad you guys are having a great show, and it's an honor to be on the show. Call me anytime you guys need me. All right, I appreciate that very much, Lorenzo. We'll talk to you again soon, buddy. Cheers, guys. Lorenzo broke my heart by not he wasn't gonna <laughs> acknowledging give in that. that it was a forward pass, but brought me back with his breakdown of fullbacks comparing them to food. What to a stew just happened in the last 10 minutes here. I, it's like a whirlwind of Lorenzo Neal in our lives and the guys that was wonderful. Loved it. Loved we, every second of it. We have to give out our neck rolls now of the week. I don't care if you guys are ready. That just I'm happened. Ready. I'm ready. Okay. I'm ready to well, go. go. Well, go ahead, Alex. Give out yours. I'm giving mine. Uh, Thursday night football. You saw this guy. He's been eviscerating people for weeks, and he took Buda Baker to the face. And just the way he's been helping carry this 49ers offense, I'm giving it to George Kittle all the way. Remember his run? Mm-hmm. Recaught it and just stiff arm Buda Baker. I mean, just every week he's just doing just terrible things to defenses. I love it. This guy's incredible. Yeah, um, George Kittle is their superstar, I think, and, and a quiet one, right? Like when Gronk is in the league, we always heard about how he was the best tight end, hands down, and now Gronk retires. I think George Kittle is probably number two 
uh, when Gronk is in the league and number one now that Gronk is out of the league. And I'll still leave the door open for Gronk to come back for the playoffs or something. <laughs> no like, way. Didn't Charles no way. Haley do that once? I, I feel I like Charles Haley came back just for the playoffs with maybe the 49ers late in his career or maybe it was with Dallas. And uh, Gronk, always a possibility. Do you have one, Courtney? I do. Um, I was just watching it back. So I was watching the in the press box in Kansas City. I was watching the Jaguars meltdown uh, in the final minutes of that game in London. And before it got to it got completely out of hand, Duke Johnson had this unbelievable run at the goal line where he bulldozes this cornerback into another dimension. Um, that is a Duke Johnson that we have not seen in a very long time. I thought it was Carlos Hyde at first, just given the type of play that it was, but it was very, very impressive. Uh, and I think he might have might have not saved a life. Might have, I don't know if it's <laughs> trying to find an end of there, life yeah, right there. A, end of life is aggressive. They probably. came home with 52 guys. Yes, yeah. that's, that's aggressive. I, I'm going to go with Mitchell Schwartz for his mm. block on Daniil Hunter that opened up the 91-yard touchdown run. And I have another neck roll to give as well. But this one was incredible. He took Daniil Hunter and pushed him so far into the middle of the field that it wasn't even a big cutback that was required by Williams to just run through a huge hole. And when I looked at that one on tape, it's like that is one of the most impressive blocks against Daniil Hunter that I've ever seen. And when we start talking about tackles in the NFL, right or left, Mitchell Schwartz should be up there. He shut down Daniil Hunter in that game, and that is almost impossible to do. He is an unbelievable football player. And the other one I would give to... Now, I, I did my turbo snark yesterday, Alex, about Lamar Jackson. Doesn't look like he's going to be switching to receiver anytime soon. <laughs> but he's got a little help from a guy named Marshall Yonda. If you've yeah. never heard of Marshall Yonda, watch this guy play. Like, focus on him when he's playing and what they do with their running game and what a monster he is. He is super fun to watch, and he played a huge, huge role in that win for Baltimore the other night by just dominating the New England Patriots defense which was number one in the league coming into that game, and Marshall Yonda took care of business. So those to, are my neck rolls. To Marshall Yonda's credit, there's nobody t- half as tough as him on that Patriots defense. I mean, you're talking about one of the toughest guards in the NFL. Dude's been doing it for years, all pro for years. Dude is one of the most badass dudes there is. Yeah, he's a beast. Uh, okay, guys, you want to take a break here, and we'll come back, finish up the show. Not with, really. Uh, some th- yeah, I know. You're well, so got jacked. me going, dude. Yeah, you got break? A, I think you just <laughs> broke the headset that you have uh, there. So... <laughs> Um, why don't, why don't you take a deep breath? Why don't you sip a little Gatorade? Calm down, and we will uh, wrap up the show here with some thoughts about solutions that the Vikings are going to need in order to beat the Dallas Cowboys. We'll get into more of a full breakdown uh, when you and I are together on Thursday, Alex. But oh, yeah. uh, how are we going to solve some of these issues on the offensive line and in, in the secondary to make this team a legitimate contender? We'll discuss when we return. Here, you listen to Purple Daily on Score North. Jonathan here with the Score North download brought to you by Think Great. Military spouses on November 11th, the Think Great Foundation will award $25,000 in academic scholarships. Support the families that support our freedom. Go to thinkgreatfoundation.org to help. Mike Zimmer asked yesterday in his press conference when he expects Adam Thielen back had this to say. Not sure, honestly. Uh, Whenever the doctor says he's ready, then he's ready. We'll keep you updated on the status of Adam Thielen throughout the week. Listen to Score North with Amazon Alexa. Just say Alexa, open Score North, and you'll hear the soothing sounds of Purple Daily, Mackie and Judd with Rami, and much, much more. Just say Alexa, open Score North. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily.
Thanks, Jonathan. Courtney reminds me that I left out of today's conversation so far the update on Adam Thielen coming via Tom Pelissero that it looks like they're going to shut him down for a bit here. Um, Alex, give me your analysis as a football player who I'm just going to guess played occasionally through injuries from time to time uh, about Thielen being put out there on Sunday and pretty much immediately re-aggravating his injury. What was your reaction to that? Dumb. Just um, but at the same time, it's like, dude, you have no time to waste. I mean, you're already in a tough division. You're in a tough NFC. I mean, look what the NFC is doing right now. You're a really good team, and you're in the sixth seed. Like, dude, you you have zero time to waste. I get why he went out there, but I think that sometimes as a player, I reflect back on so many injuries. Like, dude, injuries that I played with for a full year. That you're like, doctors were like, dude, that's not even possible. I'm like, yeah, Doc, well, it just happened, so explain to me that. And they're like, well, you're right. I'm like, yeah, I know I'm right. I'm not an idiot. But you look back and you go, maybe I shouldn't have done that. I mean, I could have had somebody. I could have hurt somebody else. I could have hurt myself even worse. There are times that you got hurt even worse or you hurt other people in the process. And you're like, dude, all because you want to play. And, and at the same time, people are pushing you to play too. So you're like, dude, I guess if I'm 75%, I'm good, right? Like, yeah, that's a pass around here. That's a passing grade. You're good. All right, well, then I got some good guys. I wonder what grade Jermaine Whitehead had uh, with Ooh. his broken hand. Mm. Um Hmm. Clearly had to be high enough that he was allowed to play. But anyways, back to uh, back to what we're dealing with here with hamstring injuries. This is something that this team knows well. And with skill guys like Dalvin Cook last year, pushed it too much, was set back even further, didn't come back till week nine. Right. Adam Thielen now, it almost seems like the only way you can approach this is having him come back in week 13 uh, for the Seattle game. Because you have right. three games in between then, or two games in between then, then the bye. And... The big issue I have here, though, is that Stephon Diggs cannot just have one catch for four yards, even when Adam Thielen is not out there, even when teams are choosing to take him away. You have to find other ways to get other guys involved in the passing game, and that just didn't happen in Kansas City. Like, well, we, yeah. but Diggs was a non-factor, but I just I can't go one catch for four yards, even if Thielen's injured. I just I I don't believe that there was not some way to work him open. Who's that on? You think, Alex? I think that's on a lot of people. Matt, you and I talked last week. Remember the five things we want to see going forward? We yep. saw all five in one game. Let's be honest. We saw all five things show up in one game, and every one of them was a fail. The offensive linemen fail. Yep. I mean, I'm sorry, but you can't show up in Kansas City and not expect to play a real football game. I even told you on this show how for real that game was going to be. Those people don't care. There are some people that don't care that you're the Minnesota Vikings. They're just there to get drunk and be really, really loud and love their team. (laughs) That's okay. That makes you a fan, a.k.a. a fanatic. Like, I love it. Right, But you forget that sometimes when you go into a stadium, teams that are on their last leg can sometimes rise up because they're like, you know what? You're right. We got nothing to lose. Let's just go out and play with Reckless Abandon tonight. Yeah. We sold out today. Let's go have a lot of fun, right? Not only that, but you come out and you see more purple than you do red. Now I'm pissed, right? Because I'm in my home stadium. Why I got more of your colors here? Now I'm really pissed, right? Like So now all of a sudden the, the tone has been set. And you show up and you're kind of like, I don't know if I want to hit today. I don't know if I want to really run block a lot today. Mm-hmm. Dude, your offense is predicated on the run. Experts and analysis and prognosticators have said this team is going to run into the playoffs. Eventually, someone's going to have your number. 
Better yet, some D-line is going to have your O-line's number. And guess what? The game gets a lot smaller, and it gets a lot tougher, especially when you don't have one of the best receivers in the NFL. Now the game just got a whole lot tougher. Like, there's just so many things that start to pile on to happen slowly, but in the end, you're like, wow, that, that trickled up quickly, didn't it? Like, <laughs> yes, we did not expect that. Was there maybe a, uh, I don't know, you guys were kind of talking about, is there a game in here that might sneak in here? You're like, no, nah, it can't be. These guys are too smart. Defense is too good. Can't be Kansas City. It's got a backup quarterback. Like, there's no way. Dude, what? Um, we have a couple minutes left, so I want Courtney to decide which way you're going to go here. Do you want to discuss which one is more fixable, the offensive line sure. issues or corner, or do you want Alex to listen to what Mike Zimmer said and react? You pick one. I well, think we should. I think we only sh- got time for one. Okay, let's discuss what should be fixed because okay, I'm okay. really curious. Because Alex, I just don't think this offensive line with Pat Elfline highlighted here. I don't know how you fix that issue. I think the more fixable thing here, if I have to pick one or the other, is your cornerbacks because you have the depth there. You have right. guys that you wanted. Um, and you drafted Mike Hughes with a first-round pick for a reason. You spent right. $75,000 guaranteed to get Holton Hill as a UDFA. You played both of them last year as rookies, and now they're playing pretty well. I think, I mean, Holton Hill, what a statement to be able to get the uh, Mike Hughes having the forced fumble and the fumble recovery. Great. Huge. And I know that that's a special teams play, yep, but with yep. the way that Xavier Rhodes and... Trey Wayne specifically against Kansas City. Like, we were talking about this at the top of the show. Like, what is the play here? Is there, you bench one and not the other? You bench them for some time. You let Hill go in. You let Hughes go in. Maybe Matt goes out to outside corner and then you move Hughes to the slot. I feel like there are more options to fix the cornerback position here that maybe just haven't been utilized yet for reasons that I'm not sure. But since you are the offensive line expert, I want you to take the other side and tell me how the Vikings fix the offensive line, most notably with the play at left guard and center. So wait, you want me to fix the O-line? Please. I mean, I think there's a lot of ways you fix the O-line. The problem is a lot of it rests on Dalvin's shoulders. And you have to get the run game going. And you can't you can't just keep doing the same thing over and over and expecting the different result. That's insanity. Our high school coach taught us that. Believe me, we used to run forever, and he used to scream it at us. And it just never made any sense. But you can't keep doing that. So you're like, okay, listen, the zone's not working. Well, what are we going to do? I don't know. Try a different type of zone. No, no, no. Well, I'm going to toss the ball now. Now I'm going to do some quick hitters. Now I'm going to do some of this. Like at one point, they started doing like a zone mic where the ball naturally cuts back because the fullback's going to find the mic and the ball cuts back with it. And there's like, there are gashes there, but then they get away from it and they go and do something else. And you're like, wait a minute, go back to that. Go back to it until they stop it. That's the rule. You, we're going to keep doing this until you make us stop because only then have you officially won. We're not going to just cave and go, okay, you're right. Well, we got to kind of keep points because, you know, the, the offense over there is putting up so many points. They're not really putting up that many points. Like, I felt like the, this offense got scared so quickly in this game. And maybe it was because they were in somebody else's stadium or maybe it was because they had Tyreek Hill. I mean, who knows? But it just didn't seem like the offense that goes in and kind of bullies people around. You know, it just seemed different. And, and Dalvin wasn't considered a threat at all. No, like, the Chiefs looked at that and they it. said, we're not going to buy that you're going to run the ball here. And real quick, th- just, I mean, I. I looked at this game going, and this is before Chris Jones that we knew he was going to play and all that, but this is a team that was giving up 145 rushing yards per game. They're like ranked 30th. Like, I don't well, know. I know. We said it before. When you see cornerbacks showing up and making single-handed tackles on Dalvin Cook, yeah. you're like, listen, this defense is set 
they set the tone. We talked about this like week one. Don't come out here with some lame duck pass, play one, where the center gets pushed into the quarterback's face and the ball goes too high over the running mm-hmm. back or the you know, receiver's head, and then all of a sudden the defense is starting to lick their chops like, Yeah, boys, we got this one and we're home today. Do Let's you, have some fun. Do you think, Alex, that everyone senses that here yes. we go again? Because yes. it looked like it. It looked like yeah. with Kirk with the first drive that even the demeanor of the team was like, yikes. Because I, I was watching, and this is the great thing about the All-22, I watched at one point Kyle Rudolph's body language where he kind right. of threw up his arms. And there was another time where Stephon Diggs was, and he was open as hell. But I he, think but that, that, and that was the one where but, the cameras caught Kirk saying something but, but to the you, effect of, you see, I'm trying. You see the body language on tape where guys are like, kind of, oh, there we go again. you know, And, and it had that feel from the very first drive. Right, it did, and you could see. I mean, when that when Thielen dropped that bar, it was too high or whatever. Like, it was just like was like, man, these guys are not on symmetry tonight. Like, there's something wrong. Instantly, like a five yard pass should be caught, dude. You were, you guys are pros. <laughs> Those are simple passes, okay? Like the seven year olds down the street can do that. If you guys aren't hitting that, there's something that's spooking the both of you. That does. It makes me feel not right. And you can see it with the team because, like you said, the body language is not kept very well. Mm-hmm. Right? Like it's not like you see guys are like, "Hey, it's okay," pumping each other up. It's like guys throwing their hands up and guys like, yeah. "Oh, I'm so sick. I'm done with this." Or here we go again. Like, dude, as soon as you see that, like in the first series, the game's over. Yeah, no, it felt that way. Uh, Alex Boone, you and I will be back together on Thursday. Thank Can't you, wait. sir, and great job. Booking Lorenzo Neal. That was a wild ride. Uh, Courtney Cronin will see you out there tomorrow at TCO Performance Center for some Media Day action. And coming up next, Mackie and Judd with Rami. This has been Purple Daily. Whether it's Baker's Simple Truth Turkey or Mac and Cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Baker's has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone. At the Home Depot, we have the tools for you to give the gift of a smarter home with savings on top brands like the Google Hub, a command center for your smart devices that raises the IQ of your entire home, or the Nest Learning Thermostat that helps you conserve energy and save on your bill. And if you don't know what to get, gift cards are a smart gift no matter what they get. So this year, gift smarter with savings on tools to make your holiday magic. The Home Depot, how doers get more done.